Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry to audiences around the world. Each week we endeavor to bring you a new interview with someone who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry, or perhaps even a recording of Henry Nouwen himself. We invite you to share the daily meditations in these podcasts with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to introduce new audiences to the writings and teachings of Henry Nouwen and remind each listener that they are a beloved child of God. Now, let me take a moment to introduce today's guest. Joyce Rupp is well known for her work as a writer, an international retreat leader, and a conference speaker. She's the author of numerous best-selling books, including Praying Our Goodbyes, Open the Door, and Fragments of Your Ancient Name. Fly While You Still Have Wings is among her publications earning an award in the spiritual books category from the Catholic Press Association. Joyce is a nun, a member of the Servants of Mary religious community. She's a gifted poet, And Joyce reminds me of Henry Nouwen in that she is a very prolific author with more than 28 books that reach deep into the hearts of her readers and fans. Joyce, you've been called a spiritual midwife. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, I started uh, thinking about that aspect of my my spirituality, my my, um, sharing my spirituality with others, you know, and and. One thing, I, I, I was so influenced by Karl Rahner's theology, and one of the things he said about it that has always stayed with me, he said that um, religious education or theology isn't pouring something into someone, it's drawing it forth. And that got me thinking about how how I am with other people when I'm sharing spirituality or they're sharing their their journey with me. And I just, I was so taken with that whole um, not just image, but the reality of what a, a medical midwife is like. You know, uh, she she has to know a lot about her profession and be very in tune and in touch with the woman who's who's about to give birth. And she she can cheer the woman on. She can, you know, have all of the information there, but she can't do the birthing for that person. And and I really, I really love that because I think it's a very humbling position, and it keeps me from trying to control, you know, how something's going to evolve for another person, and also from being arrogant and thinking that I that I know how it how it ought to go. And so, I've been so comfortable with that approach for for many years now, and and um, and I feel like it has served me well, and also with those that. Um, that I've journeyed with personally, that I've companioned, but also with the groups I've been with. I love to listen to those who have come to my retreats and conferences, and I have learned so much from them about how they have have gone through their own, um, you know, spiritual growth process and how they how they experience life in the light of their own uh, beliefs and values. So that's a long 
response to that, Karen. But, <laughs> but that's basically how that all that has come about. Because it, it sounds a little strange to some people, I guess. So, <laughs> well, you know something, I I sense it in the books that I have read. One of the books I thought I'd like to focus on was "Praying Our Goodbyes," a spiritual mm-hmm. companion through life's losses and sorrows. I mean, you've been through an awful lot yourself. And you use the stuff of your wounds to bring understanding and comfort and, and healing to others. Um, th- this book is uniquely about hellos, goodbyes, and hellos. Can you explain what you had in that metaphor, hellos, goodbyes, and hellos? Well, you know, it really is a process of life, death, and rebirth. I've just given it different uh, different names. Um, but, you know, it's that whole process of of transformation that there's that middle, that bridge part of it, which is the part that I don't think anyone really wants to walk across or walk through. And those are the painful experiences, the unfinishedness, the, the limitations, the harsh events that come into our lives. And, and yet it's by entering into them that we move to something um greater, deeper, stronger, freer in our life, you know, the, the rebirthing or the new hello, um, the greeting something, you know, that's new in our life or fresh for us or um, that has been restored in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, a, a larger light, I guess. And, you know, I, I don't know if I could have written that book if I had not read some of Henry's work before, um, before I wrote that. And, and here's the reason why. Um, I grew up in a, a farm family in northwest Iowa, and we were, I, was, I was raised a Roman Catholic. And my family, of course, when you're a child, you, don't, you just think this is how everybody, everybody grows up or how everyone responds to, to life events. But in my family... We never talked about how we felt about anything. We were very closed about our own thoughts and emotions when it came to what was happening on the inside of ourselves. We were okay externally talking about things, but we just didn't. And um, when I went to my first year in college, (laughs) I remember so well that one of my professors called me in and she wanted to talk with me, and actually I was astounded. It was... She saw in me something I didn't see in myself, and and she asked me if I'd ever thought about joining a religious community, and I about fell over. And my response was, "I'm just so uncomfortable when someone can see into me." I mean, that's such a big <laughs> statement. And you know, it was um, I gradually learned how important it is to be open and to be vulnerable. And Henry's first book started that for me, which really was more about prayer than it was about his own vulnerableness at that time. But it was with open hands. And I love that book. I still go back to that book. And what it did for me, that first image he has of a woman who's holding that coin tightly in her hand and how she has to open up her hand and let that coin be there and perhaps let it go. And I have just so treasured that image of open hands, and that began began to open me up um, emotionally, mentally, um, in my prayer. In fact, just recently I was companioning with someone, and I encouraged her 
to pray with open hands, to hold what she is really struggling with and just release it, have it there and just release it as well as, as she can. And so, you know, that, that, that foundation or that basis has, it has been there with me through, through so much. And so when I came to pray, writing Praying Our Goodbyes, um, you know, I, I have always found loss difficult. I still do, although I think I, I pretty much know how, how to go through it now, but I still, I still find farewells and loss difficult. And anyway, so I, I was writing this book because I believe people go through so many kinds of losses. And, you know, and until the time I wrote that book, people just kind of slid over them and thought only physical death was the goodbye that we really mourn. Well, so I, I started writing that book. And in the introduction, I just very briefly made a comment about a couple lines about my brother Dave who had drowned at age 23, and I was 25 at the time. And that was, that was just a really horrific experience for me um, emotionally and, and um, spiritually. Uh, so anyhow, so I had written the manuscript, and I sent it around to a few people to read it over and see what they thought. And one of the people I sent it to was a chaplain out in northwest um, United States, I didn't know him real, real well, but I respected him. So he read my manuscript, and then he he wrote back to me, and he said, I think that you ought to write a lot more about your brother's death and how you felt about it, how it affected you. And, and I was really upset with that because I thought, well, I can't just bear my soul to the public. You know, I can't just let them know the pain and the hurt and how I had to work through that. But after about a week or so of settling down, I, I, I did write about it. And, you know, that was such an eye-opener for me because when that book came out, one of the things that people talked about the most when they wrote to me about it was how much they appreciated what I had written about my brother and how they identified with it and how it had helped them to realize that they could go through their own suffering. And that that really, it strengthened me so much in being willing to be vulnerable. And I think of anything in Henry Nouwen's writings, what I admire most about him, his writing and his, the way that he wrote is that he was able, he was able to share his vulnerability in a way that didn't, um, well, my phrase for it is, he didn't bleed on the pages. You know, he, 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 named, he named what happened, but then he took it to the next step, which was to connect it with his readers. And, and that's, that's how I became so fond of his writing, because I could find myself there, and I could find encouragement there. Um, and, and so after that, my writing became much more open and honest. And, you know, I've had people say to me, it's like you wrote that just for me, or people would say, it's like you're in my kitchen and listening to me. And <laughs> I think that's how I felt about, about Henry's writing. I thought, oh, how could he have the courage to write that? And yet, I sure I can identify, you know, when he's talking about something that he's struggling with or limitations that he, that he was dealing with. So um, that's really um, 
so significant in terms of my writing, Praying Our Goodbyes. Yeah. Well, I felt it in the book. I, I loved the honesty that I found there. I felt you truly understand grief. And grief isn't just, as you said, losing maybe the the death of somebody, but you understood the losses that are often completely unsettling in our lives. Maybe it's mm-hmm. a, a job. Maybe it's a it's a marriage. Maybe it's, it, there's so many things that we kind of go, will I ever see beyond this moment? Will I ever get beyond this pain? And mm-hmm. I felt I wanted to compliment you on the honesty that was there. And I wanted to say to others, this book, sometimes you look for what can I put into someone's hands who's going through something very hard and it doesn't go quickly. It doesn't go as quickly as you want. It's one thing to say goodbye to a loved one. It's another thing to realize the the grief that you're carrying and what do you do with that grief. But I did feel this book is just wonderful. Now, you talk about existential ache in the book. What do you mean? The loneliness uh, paradoxically joins us with others in their aloneness. Tell me about existential ache. You know, that's that's another piece, I think, of, of Henry's work. And I, I, I've experienced it for myself. And it's the kind of... Um, it's a kind of uncomfortable isn't the right word it's it's a sense that of incompleteness i would put it that way not not necessarily for another person to be in my life but just that there's something missing and i think it's part of everyone's life at different times i think it's there in the best of marriages i think it's there in the best of people who are dedicated to public service or People whose lives are generally, you know, they move along well. But I just, I truly believe that for myself and from what others have told me, that there's just, there are moments in our lives when we know that there's something more and that we haven't found it yet. You know, St. Augustine said, you know, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Um, And I think that's certainly a big piece of it. It's that the mystery of the divine that we certainly can't fully fathom. But I think it's, I think it's something more than that. I think it's, uh, especially as I've grown older, I think it's a sense of wanting to really feel that oneness of kinship that I have with all of life. And that is so hard to get to, especially now, I think, when there's so many differences that are, emphasized, uh, whether it's politically or religiously or any other way. Um, But I just, I think there are times when that rises up in us, and it's existential in the sense that it's part of human existence. It's just there, and and not to blame ourselves for that. Gosh, is there something I'm not doing right, or should I be doing more, or that? But I think... The best thing is to befriend it and to say, which I do for myself, it's like, oh, there you are again, you know, and how did you happen to arise now, and how would you like me to be with you in this? And for me, one of the best ways is I find so much comfort in nature, and so when I'm finding just this restlessness in me or this sense of incompleteness, if I go for a long walk and I just let my head stuff, you know, put it away for a while and just simply attune into the walking and, and nature, it all kind of settles in me again. And it's like, it's all right, you know, this is just a part of who you are. Um, 
So I don't know. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life, but I've I found it to be there in other people besides myself, and I've certainly found it in Henry's work. I I confess I have found it in my life as well, and that's why I wanted to have you talk about it because I think mm-hmm. sometimes I mean we run fast to cover it up, we dance fast mm-hmm. to cover it up, we do all those mm-hmm. kinds of things, but I think in some mm-hmm. ways there's that moment of going this incredible sense of aloneness, this incredible sense of uh, longing for connection that would comfort that. And in a way, mm-hmm. at the same time, knowing that that aloneness is probably our most human connection with all other human beings. We all experience that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is an amazing thing. Uh, it does bring, also, your, your book brings forward a, an important question. And that is what causes suffering. Does God send it? I mean, that's really, sometimes we we kind of find ourselves going, why did you do this to me, God? So what's your answer? What causes suffering, Joyce? Yeah, Yeah. You know, I think that for me personally, that's one of the most important pieces of the book. And, And it has been the most comforting for a lot of people who have used the book. Because even, even people who have, what I would consider a really healthy relationship with God, when something really terrible happens to them, whether it's a sudden death of someone they love or they, all of us, you know, they go to the doctor and they find that they have cancer or something, it's like that question, why me and and how, where are you in this, God? I thought you were for me. I thought I was a good person, you know, all that kind of thing. And so... Um, I really tried to develop in that particular section of the book how suffering happens because of our human condition. People become ill for a lot of reasons. You know, it could be genetic. It could be something in the environment. It could be, you know, maybe they haven't taken good care of themselves. Maybe, you know, they've, whatever it might be that has caused that illness. But, you know, God didn't cause that. And I've I've looked at just a variety of things. And um, another big one, and I've had people say this to me. I remember a woman, she was in her probably her 80s. I was uh, speaking at a church in in a rural area. And, And this woman came up to me right before I was going to speak. And she said, um, I'm in terrible pain. I have this illness. I'm sure that God is punishing me for what happened when I was 14 years old. I mean, this woman is in her 80s. And she said, I had a child out of wedlock. And I think that God is punishing me for this. And oh my goodness, my heart just broke for her. And I didn't have a lot of time with her, but I just really tried to help her see that, you know, that God certainly didn't hold that against her. And and could she forgive herself? Because I think that was at the heart of it. And I felt, I, I saw some sense of relief on her face when we finished. But that that's the kind of thing that I think is still there for people. God is testing me, punishing me, causing this, trying to teach me a lesson. And that that is so ingrained in us and from from, you know, past religious teachings as well as hearing it from others, reading it in some old theology. Um, and it's very hard sometimes for people to move beyond that. 
But it is the most wonderful thing to see what happens when people do experience that. Um, you know, just recently I've been journeying with a, a woman, not in spiritual guidance, so I can talk about this because um, I think it's not confidential. Uh, but, you know, she she's nearing death. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman, early 50s. And in one of our conversations, I just said, you know, how do you feel about your relationship with God? And she said, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really peaceful about my death. I'm, I'm just not sure, you know, did I do enough? Was I good enough? You know. And I think that's a natural thing that comes up. And so we had a conversation about that. And again, kind of based on praying our goodbyes, which, which she, without my realizing it was just beginning to read. One of her children had brought it for her. And uh, and so I just talked about it. I said, you know, you you are worthy in God's eyes. Can you accept that you're worthy in your own eyes? And that, yes, you did make some mistakes. And, yes, you didn't always choose properly, perhaps. But at this moment in time, your whole your whole focus is going to be in, in coming home into those loving, tender, welcoming arms of, of the Holy One. And, you know, the next time I was with her, she said, you know, I'm at a new place with that, and I'm really, I've really come to peace with it. So but it was wonderful. It's wonderful to see those kinds of things that can, can be transforming and, and bring people to such deep peace. But all of those old messages are there, and, oh, my goodness, they can just haunt people um, for a long time, as they did this one woman, you know, who thought God was, you know, blaming her, punishing her for having that child. Oh, you know, it's funny. I want to say that this book, I think, is for everyone. I'm just going to say that. I, I You know, in, in reading it for the first time, Praying Our Goodbyes, A Spiritual Companion Through Life's Losses and Sorrows, it isn't just about end-of-life issues, but there are losses mm-hmm. all the way along. And often mm-hmm. we play out in our mind that sense God is punishing us or we've mm-hmm. failed. And I found this just rich with um, understanding and godly wisdom. I just found it something that would be mm-hmm. a great uh, refresher into people's kind of, you know, when you go, go down the wrong road and you have to come back and find the way. I think this is a good book for yeah. finding the way. And I, I compliment yeah. you on that. You talk about creative suffering. What do you mean by creative suffering? None of us kind of welcome that. But I think there's there's some great truth to that. And often we can look backwards over our lives and go, Mm-hmm. Some you mm-hmm. know some bend in the road turned into something. Yeah. Tell us about creative suffering. Yeah, you know I've been mocked for that phrase, and probably if I had to rewrite the book, I might not have used that. <laughs> you know, but what I really meant by it was that depending on how we move through our suffering, it can be creative in the sense that it can lead us to something new. Um, uh, just an example from my life from. And again, I go back to Henry and, and his his uh, writing. One of the first books I ever read uh, on compassion was that beautiful book of his. He, he co-authored it with McNeil and Morrison. Yeah. And it's just called Compassion. And I it was I think I read that shortly after it came out. I think it came out in the mid '80s. And uh, I was so taken with it, first of all, because in, in my religious community, our devotion is to Mary standing at the foot of the cross. And, uh, and so 
our, our central devotion is to be with people who are suffering in a compassionate way. And I thought, oh my goodness, this book just, and there, there was just this most beautiful um, quote from, in fact, I have it with me because I, I wanted to, to mention it to you and, and to, your, um, to those who are listening. And it, it, has, it has helped me so much, and, and this does tie into creative suffering. I'll get back to it, but <laughs> it, it, is, it, it just is the most beautiful image of how God is with us in our suffering. And this is what they wrote, and Henry wrote. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. You see, how I go through my suffering, if I resist it, if I deny it, if I shove it aside, if I get angry and resentful about it, and I never go deeper to let it accompany me and teach me, I, I can't do these beautiful kinds of things that, that are here, you know, to share in other people's brokenness and fear and confusion and anguish and to be with those who are lonely without trying to fix them or, you know, and and they, I think it's that same section where the ending part of it is that I've, I've always loved this, that God goes to the most forgotten corners of the world and will not stop until it's basically until all the tears of the world have have ceased. And I just think that is so gorgeous that think of this comforting, compassionate, divine being going to the corners of the world, you know, with all people who are suffering. Um, so going back to creative suffering, here's one of the central ways that what I have experienced in my life, um, it has really helped me to be a person with empathy and compassion. And about, well, it was 20, 2009, I had this graced moment in prayer when I, I just felt called to learn and teach compassion. And I started a program with Margaret Stratman in my community called Boundless Compassion. And it has grown and blossomed and matured. Uh, I wrote a book about our program finally a couple years ago. We started training other people to teach the, the basic foundational concepts of that book. Right now we have about 100 facil trained facilitators, and 10 of them are in Canada. Wow. And um, we're, we have 25 more that will train the end of this month, or end of June. And then in October, we'll have about 30 more. And it is wonderful to see how they're carrying on this in their own professions and with their own gifts and talents. And honestly, I, I never could have done that without understanding what it's like to not just experience, as you said, physical death, but, but rejection, uh, the loss of friendship, um, failure in, in, a, in a job that I had. There have just been different kinds of ways that, you know, once I got done fighting what was happening and I really 
entered into that suffering in the sense of I need to be present to this. I, I need to listen to how my body, mind, and spirit are responding and be self-compassionate. Um, and I need to take it into prayer every day. Um, I, it is just it has grown me tremendously. And I know I still have a long ways to go. Christina Feldman, I love this line in, in her book on compassion. She said, we're always beginners in the art of compassion. And I feel that's so true. I think Henry would agree with that. You know, that he was always learning more about how to be compassionate in, in everything that he experienced. And he certainly did keep growing in that. So um, that that's really what I mean by that creative part, that it creates something, something that we didn't anticipate in ourselves or in the, in the way that we live or the way we relate to other people. I must admit, I, I saw uh, some of the, the conferences and uh, events you have planned, and I want to encourage everyone, go to Joyce Rupp's uh, website, sign up. I, I love what you're saying. I mean, I, I really think that's a very valuable place to enter in, a door to go through into that world of compassion. And you're right. it's uh, It was very important to Henry. It was central to him. It was that ongoing uh, lesson that he was working on. Um, one of the things you say in your book, you say there's a time to move on, to let new melodies break forth in our hearts. Mm-hmm. I want to just do a little change here and say, was writing the memoir about your mother, which is Fly While mm-hmm. You Still Have Wings, a way of letting go for you? <laughs> it was a big one. You are very perceptive, Karen. Um, you know, my mother and I had a wonderful friendship. Um, she lived uh, 14 years after my dad. My dad died at, at 70 uh, instantly of a heart attack. And my mother went out. My mother was a very um, resilient woman, and I admired her greatly. And after my father died, I would I would um, invite my mother to go with me when I was traveling around the country to different places to speak or give retreats. And she loved that because she didn't get to do a lot of that before my father died. And and we had wonderful talks. And, and then as she um, was in her late 70s, she had a lot of physical health issues. And, um, and I saw how she was really failing in, in health. And I so admired her because she talked freely about her death. In fact, she was so amazing that she actually one time I came she lived about it was a about a uh, six hour six to seven hour round trip for me to go and visit my mother Uh, but whenever I would visit her we'd have these great kitchen table conversations and one day when I was there to visit she said to me you know I went down to Greenwood Funeral Home last week and I just made all the arrangements for my funeral I ordered my casket I did the prayer card and she went through all this and I was like just aghast you know I was like how, how can you be talking about this and not I don't want you to die let's not talk about this but but at the same time I knew from my experience of working with grief and loss that I needed to let her talk about it so I did um <laughs> But from then on, and I think it was that was maybe when she was just 80 or 81. She died at 84. But I started being really attentive to things that she said and how she was with her aging. And I would write them down in my journal, so I had a lot of, uh, you know, memories later on. So then 
my mother died, and she died actually rather quickly. Um, she went into the hospital, and three hours later, she, she died. And um, and I thought, you know, initially that I was okay. I knew that she was comfortable with her death. But wow, I mean, about a month or so after, and I just, I mean, every day I really missed her. But all of a sudden, I was filled with these regrets. Oh, my gosh, they just bombarded me. And they were crazy little things. It was nothing major because we never, ever had a fight. We never had a separation. But they were things that I so wished I would have done that I didn't do, that I didn't understand about what it was like to, to age. And and they were just like one of the things that I I never realized till I, I went back, you know, in my journal and I started reading what I had written. When she, I think it was her 83rd birthday, and I had made a point I was going to go home and I was going to help her out because she was pretty much confined to being in her in a chair. She could, she had a walker, but she she couldn't do a whole lot. And my mother had always been an immaculate housekeeper, but the last couple of years she just couldn't do that. She had someone come in to help. But anyway, so I said to her, "Mom, for your birthday, I'm going to clean your kitchen cupboards." And so she's sitting in the living room, and I'm out there, and I'm just working away, thinking I'm so great about doing this for her. And all of a sudden, you know, she she called me in to the living room. And I can't remember our exact conversation right now. I, I know I've written some of it in the book. But basically what she said to me was she didn't care at all about my cleaning the cupboards. What she wanted me to do was sit and talk with her and be with her. Now, she didn't say that directly because my mother was had a hard time with that. But when looking back on that, I mean, I had this conversation. I sat next to her for a while. Then I went back to cleaning cupboards again instead of spending that precious time with her. And and so I so regretted what I had done. I didn't ask her how she felt. Did she want me just to be there and be present with her instead of cleaning those stupid cupboards, you know? <laughs> and, you know, and there were other situations like that that I just, I missed it with her. I just simply missed it with her. One other time that I really regretted, and this was like, it was just a few months before she died, and uh, I was in her bedroom. I was helping her to make her bed. And I noticed that her mattress wasn't the best. I said to her, you know, Mom, we need to get you a new mattress. And she said to me, oh, no. She said, that mattress is just fine. I said, no, no. I said, well, we, we need to get you a new one. And she said, you know, I don't think I'm going to be around for very long. You know, I, I just don't sense. And you know what? I wouldn't let her talk about it. I said, oh, no, you're going to be around for a long time yet, you know. And I just dismissed the whole thing. And I thought afterwards, I so regretted it. it would have been such a precious moment to say, what's it like for you to feel that you're so close to death? You know, what? how do you know that in your body, in your mind, in your spirit? But I, I never asked her. So I had all these regrets, and I wanted so much to write a book about my mother's aging because I thought it would help other people to not make the same mistakes that I had made. And But I couldn't write that book. My mother died in 2000, and it took me 10 years before, before I could finally go back to my journals and start calling them and find out what I had written about my time in her later years. And even then... I was dragging my feet about that whole thing. 
And finally, I went for a week to a, it's called Mallard Island, a beautiful island on Rainy Lake that um, the writers go to for special time away. And I was still beating myself up about the regrets, but dragging myself to try and write this book. And one morning when I was there, I went to a place called the Japanese House, and it sits on the end of the peninsula of the island. And it's a beautiful, oh, just a gorgeous spot, this tiny house. And it looks out onto the water and two other islands nearby. And I, I just sat there, and... I I had all I just I just prayed I could let go of those regrets and the most amazing thing happened to me. I must have been I'd go early like about five in the morning, and be there for a couple hours usually. And toward the end of my time there, I looked out on the water and all of a sudden I remembered, you know, how I had read this story of the river Styx and how the Egyptians had placed their deceased ones in their boats and put lanterns in the boats and sent them out on the water and let them go. And in that moment, the most grace came to me and I thought, it is time to let my mother go and it is time for me to let my regrets go. And honestly, I have never had those regrets since then. I came back, I wrote the book, I felt good about what I wrote and uh, it just, it all changed for me. But again, I, I go back to Henry's writings, and I think, you know, he wrote that beautiful book, In Memoriam, about his mother and his grief over his mother's death. And that really gave me the strength, again, I think, to walk into that, my my own grief with my mother's death. And because writing the book, you know, it was hard because I had remembered all the good things about her and what I missed about her. And then it was that chapter I wrote, the chapter I just named it, A Book of Regrets, because that's how I, 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 I asked a friend one time, I said, did you have regrets after your mother died? And she said to me, I was a book of regrets. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not alone. <laughs> so... Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I it, it certainly comes alive to me. I think about my own mother's passing and I think about how I was afraid to even go there. I danced so mm-hmm. fast after she died just because mm-hmm. a part of me was afraid of all the anguish that was there. My father had died when mm-hmm. I was six years old, so I knew what it was like. I had oh a kind goodness. of childhood fear of losing my mother. Yeah. And in yeah. that childhood fear of losing my mother, I... I was afraid to go there and even feel the sorrow that I would feel. I just danced fast mm-hmm. until I finally mm-hmm. settled back and could cherish that I had had such a wonderful mother and that I could mm-hmm. enter in. But it's I find what you wrote was so good because I think that book of regrets, all of us think we have done more. What what could we have said? What should, the should of mm-hmm. the would have of our lives. And mm-hmm. I, I found that mm-hmm. very valuable that you wrote so honestly about that. Um, it's interesting because I find that as I, I as I'm reading this, I kind of came away going, "Are you teaching yourself how to age?" Because as mm-hmm. you were you were very um, raw and honest with the process that your mother went through. She was a person who had been so independent, and and the mm-hmm. loss of mobility and the loss of productivity obviously was. A tremendous loss to her. She wasn't comfortable having mm-hmm. other people do for her. But mm-hmm. in that process, like I find the book quite useful because it doesn't matter what age you are. There are going to be points in our life where we have losses. And uh, mm-hmm. in those losses, 
uh, are we able to receive from others is a is a big issue I think and and are we able to be comfortable in those stages but I found myself feeling that you were maybe writing the book for yourself because you too we all come to the end of our lives we all come there how will we cope with not being able to do things being dependent Oh, you, you are so, you just named that so well, Karen, and you are so right. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be 78 pretty soon, so I'm almost at the place where my mother, you know, <laughs> I'm in very good health, much better health than my mother ever was at this age. Um, but you're right, I did write that book for myself, and you know, a piece of it that I really wrote for myself was naming how independent I am. And I got that from my mother, you know, and <laughs> it's hard to lean on other people. And I, I and that, again, I think Henry learned how to do that. I mean, he, 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 you know, he overcame that for himself. And I, I think that is so important at any stage in our life to learn how to be interdependent, to lean on others when we need to, not over lean, but, but to go there when we need to and receive, to receive. And so, you know, about, oh, gosh, it's been at least, well, I think it was after the book came out. You know, my mother's uh, motto was fly while you still have wings. I mean, she just, that's how she was. <laughs> but anyway, I, I decided I needed to start really receiving from others. So, um, you know, my hair by then was starting to turn white and I was still traveling a lot, you know, to give talks and conferences, and I'd get on the plane with my little light carry-on, and I, I could I could easily put it up on, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty strong, and so I could put it up above, you know. But some guy had come along and say, oh, here, let me help you with this. And I'd so want to say, hey, look, I might look old, but I can put that up there by myself. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, I learned how to say, oh, thank you so much. That's really a big help, you know, <laughs> and sit down and swallow my pride, you know, like, oh, I just wanted to show I could still do it. And just little things like that. Or one time I was with my young cousin I dearly love, and we were crossing the street, and, and Katie took my elbow to cross the street, and I wanted to just shrug it off and say, I'm not an old lady. I can cross the street by myself. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh. <laughs> but but I didn't, you know, I thought she, she sees me as, as an old person and she's just an act of love. And so receive it, you know, instead of fighting it. And, and, um, and, you know, right now I, I meet with a group in my community. They're all four of them are in their nineties and they're mentally still very alert, uh, physically not in such great shape. But, uh, anyway, I learned so much from them as they tell me how they have moved into, you know, letting go of this strong desire to take care of oneself completely and value and appreciate and be grateful for the assistance that they receive in a variety of ways. Um, there's so much to learn. I, I'm hoping someday to, to really write a book just about elderhood. I. I, I keep learning so much from it. Um, so, You've obviously been accompanying a lot of people in this process because you've been involved in... Uh, in uh, oh, our Boundless Compassion Program? Yes, you've known what yeah. it is to accompany people, and that's quite yes. important, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I loved your poetry in this book. Is there a oh, chance okay. I could get you to read a few of the poems? Uh, what became central, obviously, obviously, almost in the middle of the book, is fly while you still have wings. And the poem is fly. And I see this image of flight, and then it evolves. Have, 
I don't know if you have uh, a book in front of you. If you don't, it's such a beautiful book. I do book. have it with me, Karen. I didn't know you were going to ask me to oh. read something, but I'd, I'd love to read something. I have a, I have a few that I've marked that I just go, oh, let's, they, I just love these poems. But let's start with that one, simply because that was kind of the heart of your mom's message. For herself, it was like, keep going while you can. <laughs> You know, I love to write poetry. Not everyone gets poetry, but anyway, oh, I, I love to read it. So here we go. Okay. This is from the chapter on Fly While You Still Have Wings, an introdu- introduction to that chapter. Fly. Fly while you still have wings. Fly with buoyancy. Do not falter in fervor or waver in eagerness. List off with a zestful spirit. Enter fully what remains of the fleeting, diminishing years of life. Do not wait to follow what the heart truly desires. Fly now. Take yourself out the door into fresh freedom. Celebrate what awaits. Spend yourself like there's no tomorrow, because there may be no tomorrow. Open your heart to receive latent possibilities of joy and loving lasting memories. Fly, fly, fly while you still have wings. You're a beautiful poet. Spend yourself like there's no tomorrow. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, I think you inherited some of that incredible uh, resilience of your mom. And uh, it's quite beautiful. Thank you. I have another favorite. It's on page 153, Soul Contractions. Would you read that one as well? The sun porch one? Yes. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that was such a wonderful experience for my mother on that sun porch. So the title of this poem is Soul Contractions. My mother ages all too quickly now, the latest illness claiming more chunks of her vitality each day. This beloved woman whose womb held my body I now hold in the chalice of my vigilance. Sadness and sorrow pulse inside my spirit, a kindred soul contraction resonating with her spiritual gestation as she prepares during these final years for her birth into eternity. Dear Mother, I who burst forth from your womb on a sunny morning in June, Embrace you now with gratitude, praying to let you go freely, to encourage your spirit to wing forward peacefully into the mystery of the one great womb where there is space enough to embrace us all. Wow. That is truly lovely. Truly lovely. Mm -hmm. Joyce, I just thank you so much for who you are and what you bring to us. And clearly... um, God's gifted you with wonderful insights and and the ability to really communicate and uh, encourage at a very deep level. That's what I found. That's what I found in your books. That's what reminds me most of Henry. This deep honesty, this this fresh honesty that you bring, and that sense of intimacy, uh, understanding the human heart and understanding the heart of God. I I, I just see those two meeting beautifully in in your writing and in in your teaching. 
You speak like a poet, Karen. Are you a poet? <laughs> I'm not, but I do. My heart lights up with poetry, so I, I was. It was a thrill to discover you were a poet. I mean, it was really. It's it's woven through your writings, obviously, and uh, uh, I'm getting to know you through your poetry as well. I, yeah. I I appreciate that very much. You know, I have I have one book of poetry that, and I I actually had two ones on print, but the um uh my heart my soul feels lean. And it's really in two parts. And the first part is about, um, you know, the difficulty, the darkness, the depressions, and everything people face. And the second part of it is all the poems are about hope and newness and freshness and springtime and that. Anyway, and I have, I have, I was so grateful to be able to publish that book of poetry because, you know, not all publishers want to publish poetry unless you're really a well-known poet. But I love poetry because you can say so much in really small space if you, if you're, you know, you keep working at it and, and you can say it in a way that it really catches the heart. And, and it connects, you know, as I loved your phrase, you know, the intimacy of the heart. I think that what, that's what poetry, at least for me, what I really appreciate about it. Yeah. So thank you for mentioning that. Well, you're, you are welcome. You have fed my spirit. I'm grateful. And I encourage others, do get Joyce Rupp books. You're going to be in for a treat. I think I would especially say uh, this praying our goodbyes is, is vital. Uh, it it blessed me so much. I have another one here. I'm just trying to see. The other one I have here that is just wonderful is Essential Writings, which I really enjoyed, Modern Spiritual oh. Masters series. That gives a good tasting of many things. And, of course, the book that you have written, in a way, as a tribute to your mom and as a as a guidebook through the goodbyes and hellos and hellos and goodbyes of life. I, I just mm. think it's a, a beautiful book. Fly while you still have wings. Thank you so much, Joyce, for being with us. And uh, I will encourage all of those listeners to be sure and follow up and find these good treasures. I'm sure they'll enjoy them. Well, you know, Karen, thank you so much. I'm just I'm just so delighted that we had this conversation because, you know, it just takes me back into, you know, oh, how did I get to be where I am today? And that's always a good thing, I think. You know, it always leads to gratitude and kind of wonderment. So thanks a lot. And I, I so appreciate your affirmation and your interest. And um, I wish you well on your journey. Thank you. And I appreciate how much Henry Nowen has impacted you. You told that part of the story so well. And I'm always looking for those people where I can say, are we kindred spirits on that level too? Uh, so mm. that was a delight to sort of hear the way in which Henry has woven his his understanding of life into yours. Thanks so much, Joyce. Great. Blessings. You're welcome, Karen. Take good care. You too. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope this conversation with Sister Joyce Rupp has opened you to hear something fresh and valuable for your life. For more resources related to today's podcast, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You will find links to anything mentioned today in our conversation with Joyce Rupp. You'll find book suggestions and links to sign up to receive our free daily Henry Nowen Meditations. If this has been a valuable podcast, please take time to give us a thumbs up or a good review. We'd be so grateful. And it helps others discover the resources that we have to offer. Of course, we love when you take time to share our free daily meditations and podcasts with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. Until next time.